Welcome to City Church. City Church is a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Welcome to the first Sunday in our brand new sermon series that's entitled Home. And you are probably not aware of this, but this sermon series has been planned for months, literally for months. And I believe now with all of my heart that God knew that we would need this series now. So what we're going to be doing throughout this sermon series is we're going to look at the biblical theme of home throughout the Older Testament and the Newer Testament. Now, being very clear, the purpose for this home series is as follows. It's this. During the instability and concern of this crisis, you will find that through a biblical approach to home, your soul is nurtured, your faith is strengthened so that you can live life well. I believe that as we process through this sermon series, you will discover that this is true. Well, when we think of home, if you are like I am, I have been sheltering in place. I find that sheltering in place is something that I've really never done before. As a matter of fact, I think I have spent more time at home in the past several weeks than I have in years. Now, you might be finding yourself in an apartment, a dorm room, or in a house, Wherever that is, if, again, if you are like I am, I am finding that sheltering in place can be somewhat of a challenge. But I also have to share another perspective. I know that my wife Fran and I are thrilled with what's been happening as far as sheltering in our homes. And one of the reasons why is because our three adult children are now home with us. My two daughters study on grounds at the University of Virginia, and my son Peter was doing a graduate degree at Princeton Seminary, and now they're all home with us. Just a, a brief Reminder again that Peter will be preaching next Sunday morning, and it kind of dawned on me, since he'll be preaching on home, that I'm a little bit nervous about what he might say after we've been sheltering in place together, but I want to remind him that if anything he says, I will get the final rebuttal because I'll be preaching for weeks after he does. Now, in thinking about home in the Bible, there is a first obvious theme that comes up in the Bible and it begins in the Older Testament. And here's the theme. The theme is the idea of the temple, a home for God. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before, but in the Older Testament, there is introduced to us the concept that God had a home. There was a place that God dwelt. And if you ever go to Jerusalem or to Israel, I've been multiple times. But if you go to Israel, you will discover that on the Temple Mount, where the Temple of God used to be built, that there's this incredible ancient group of stones. There's a wonderful place that you can go and experience. And here's just a quick picture. 
that uh, you can see on your screen that I took while I was there in Israel about two years ago. Now, the perspective that you're looking at now is a perspective of the, what many Westerners call the Wailing Wall. The more accurate way to term that is, though, it's called the Western Wall. And if you're looking at that wall, it's quite famous because that's where a lot of Jews gather to pray and to worship and to seek God for the peace of Israel. They also go there to pray for personal needs. I've done the same countless times. But if you were to look at that picture that I had up, if you were to go above that picture and on the other side of the wall, you would enter what's called the Temple Mount. It's the place where the temple used to be. That Temple Mount is called Mount Moriah. And in the Older Testament, it's the place where Abraham took Isaac in order to sacrifice him, but God miraculously provides a ram in the thicket so that there is a sacrifice given to God. It's also a plot of ground that King David bought from a neighboring nation. He purchased it, and then his son Solomon ends up building the temple on that spot in 990 BC. The biblical record tells us that the temple was gorgeous. The temple spoke of the majesty of God. The temple spoke about the wonder and the glory of God. If you were to know anything about the Older Testament scriptures, you would know that the temple was this magnificent building. And surrounding that temple is a 38-acre piece of ground. And on that ground, there were different areas where specific people were allowed to be and then there was actually what was called the outer courtyard around the temple. And that outer courtyard had limitations about who could get closer or closest to the presence of God. The temple building itself had a couple of rooms in it. But the central room in the temple of the Older Testament, this home for God, the central room inside that temple was called the Holy of Holies. In the Older Testament, we are told that the inner sanctuary was separated from the Holy of Holies by a thick, massive curtain. The Holy of Holies was the special place where God would dwell, where God's personal presence would be there and be available for the people of Israel. But the scriptures also tell us that only one priest, once a year, was allowed to enter behind the curtain. And there was a purpose for that one time of entering the Holy of Holies, and that was to make sacrifice for and atonement for the sins of the people of Israel from the previous year. You see, in the Holy of Holies, behind that curtain, there was one primary piece of furniture. And that primary piece of furniture is called the Ark of the Covenant. That Ark of the Covenant was a two-foot by three-foot gold box, and inside that gold box were three items. There was the stone tablets on which Moses had received the law, there was Aaron's rod that had budded, and there was also a small jar of manna that had been collected during their time in the wilderness. You see, the Ark of the Covenant was the place over which God's presence would be. 
Second Chronicles chapter 5, verses 13 through 14 tells us that when the Ark of the Covenant was brought into God's house, when the Ark of the Covenant was brought into the temple and placed behind that curtain, that the presence of God and the glory of the Lord filled the temple to the point where the priests could no longer perform their duties. Now, one thing that's important to know is that on the Ark of the Covenant, there was a lid, and the lid was called the mercy seat. And that mercy seat, that lid for the Ark of the Covenant, had two cherubim fastened to the lid on either side. And in between those cherubim was what, again, was called the mercy seat. That mercy seat was where the priest would enter behind the curtain once a year on the Day of Atonement and apply blood to that seat. And that was the spot in which God would offer mercy and atonement for the sins of all the people of Israel. Picture it this way, that over that mercy seat, Inside that central room in the center of God's temple, that area called the Holy of Holies, God and his presence would dwell. In another way to look at the temple was this. The temple is the place where the creator God would take up residence on the earth and he would dwell with the people of Israel. It is the space, that temple, the house for God, where heaven and earth would intersect. Now, when you read the Older Testament, that is the first or initial temple or house for God that you would experience. But believe it or not, there's actually an earlier one that is much less obvious. That earlier temple is found in Genesis chapter 1, in two. In Genesis chapter one and in Genesis chapter two, you know, or many people know, that this is the creation story of the Bible. This is the story where God creates all that there is. But what's amazing to take note of is that many rabbis and many current biblical scholars tell us that it's not just the story of creation, which it truly is. But there's a parallel way to read the story or the creation narrative in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. You see, when you're reading in, in the book of Genesis, it tells us that God created the heavens and the earth, that it was absolutely wonderful. You go through six days of glorious creation where God creates everything that there is. And then the Bible says... On the seventh day, on the seventh day, God rested. What the rabbis teach us is that on the seventh day, God actually sat on his throne. That he sits on his throne. And the first six days of creation, God is creating the created world that we experience. And the way it is approached by the rabbis and some biblical scholars is that the six days of creation, God is actually creating a temple in which he will dwell fully and completely with his presence. So in other words... At the end of six days of creation, God steps into his good creation and he personally inhabits that space as he sits on his throne. What will also help us to make sense of this 
is that the nations around Israel at that time, at that time meaning when the book of Genesis is given to us and it's written by Moses, at the time of Moses, when Genesis is written and given to us, the area nations around Israel are a group of people that have temples. And in those temples, they have the images of their gods. And so when you look at Genesis, chapter, Genesis chapters 1 and 2, what you discover is, as you look at the creation story, it becomes very fascinating if you view it as though God is creating a temple. What you would experience is this. On day one, the Bible says God announces, let there be light. On day number three, there's vegetation that's growing the third day of creation. And on day number four, God creates the sun. So what's stunning in the creation story, if you think about God creating a temple for himself, what's stunning about this is that on the first day, God announces, let there be light. On the third day, vegetation grows. And it's not till the fourth day that the sun is created. So there was light before the sun. There was vegetation before the sun. And what we discover if we view this as God creating nature as a temple for himself, what we discover is quite profound. You see, the neighboring nations, almost all of them worshiped the sun. Their temples were set up such that there would be an image of a God in the middle of that temple, and that God would be the sun God. And so the Aryan nations are worshiping the God of the sun. But you see, Genesis' building of the temple that God creates for himself is a clear word to all of the neighboring nations. What it tells them is this, is that if you're worshiping the sun, you're actually worshiping something that was created instead of worshiping the creator. You see, in God's temple, in God's creation in the book of Genesis, we discover that light comes before the sun. And so it's a clear call that this true temple the temple of God where the good creation and the glory of creation speaks about the creator God, that creation, that temple building narrative stands against all of the other narratives of the nations around Israel. Now, I have a question. When someone builds a temple, someone constructs a temple, what do you put inside of it? What goes inside of the temple? What you're being shown now is a picture that my wife and I took last year, a picture of a Roman temple. It's magnificent. Here's a picture of a Roman temple with all of its glory and architectural magnificence, and that architecture speaks of the God that's placed in it. Now, what do you place inside of a temple? You place the image of the God. That's what you put in there. You construct this glorious temple and then the image of the God is set in the center of the temple. Well, what we discover in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis 2, and Genesis 3 is this, is that if you read the creation story as a temple story, it becomes wonderful because God creates this temple in which he inhabits 
But how his, is, how is his image placed into the temple? Well, the Bible tells us that the center of God's good creation in the creation story is the Garden of Eden. It's the center of God's creation. And in the center of the garden, God places his image. And his image is humankind. You see, if you read the temple narrative that way, that it's actually a creation about a temple that God is building, then his image is placed in the center of the temple, in the Garden of Eden, and humankind, as the Bible declares, is created in the image of God. How profound that is. That God would create this nature that speaks of his glory, and then in choosing to place his image in the middle of it, he does it as he places Adam and Eve who are created in his image in the garden. Now if you were to know the story though, you would know that the perfection of the temple of God's good creation ends up crumbling after Adam and Eve's sin. The virus of sin enters into their reality, into all of creation and all of nature and they are forced to exit the Garden of Eden the center of God's temple. As we think about temple, it's also important for us as we talk about temple and we think about temple is to ask ourselves the question, as followers of Jesus, how did Jesus deal with the temple? Knowing that the temple is the place where God's presence dwells, knowing that the temple is the place where God's spirit is there dwelling over the Ark of the Covenant, how did Jesus deal with the temple? Well, what you discover is, near the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, Jesus actually prophesies the destruction of the temple and the signs of the times of the end of the age. Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 and 2 tells us this, that Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. And he says to them, do you see all these things? Truly I tell you that not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Picture that scene. Jesus is exiting Jerusalem. The massive temple structure is behind them. They draw Jesus' attention to the fact of how stable the temple is, how confident they are in the temple. I've stood there and looked at the stones of the foundation of the temple. There are literally stones that are the size of a bus. Jesus looks at those stones, sees his disciples' confidence in that temple, and he says to them, I tell you that that temple is going to be destroyed. We know in AD 70, Vespasian, the Roman general, destroys the city of Jerusalem, destroys the temple, and all of the sacrifices and all of the worship in the temple ceases. How else did Jesus deal with the temple? If the temple is the place where God's spirit dwells, how does Jesus deal with it? Well, quite stunningly, Jesus deals with the temple on Good Friday. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 27, verses 50 through 52, it says this about when Jesus died. 
And when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rock split. What's stunning is, when we talk about Jesus and the temple, what we discover is that as Jesus dies... The curtain that only allowed one person once a year to go into the Holy of Holies to approach the Ark of the Covenant and only for one purpose and that was to apply the sacrificial blood as an atonement for all the people of Israel as Jesus dies, as his blood was shed, as he gave up his life, the temple is, the curtain in the temple is torn in two and there's this megaphone announcement by God that anyone is now welcome into the Holy of Holies because of the death of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus. Now God's presence is made available to all. Everyone is welcomed in. Why? Because Jesus' sin, I'm sorry, Jesus' death atones for the sin of all people. All sin is now covered through the shedding of his blood. And because of that, we discover that the curtain is torn in two. The Holy of Holies is open to all of us, and all of us are, to, are welcomed to enter in. Now, as we look at this story, how can we, as followers of Jesus, put feet to your faith? We've looked at the Older Testament, and we've looked at the temple. It's the house that was built for God. It's that place where God's presence dwells. And as we look at putting feet to our faith, the first thing that we have to recognize or talk about is the first century church. How did the first church deal with the temple? How did the first church actually process through the idea of temple in Jesus and now everyone being welcomed in to the center of God's presence? How would we deal with this? Well, we discover that in the Newer Testament, the Apostle Paul speaks to the first church about the following. He says this. He says, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You see, as we put feet to our faith, what we discover is, is that in the Older Testament, the temple was where the presence and the Spirit of God would dwell. Jesus opens up the curtain, so now everyone has access to the Holy Spirit. But now the Apostle Paul tells us that our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit that our physical bodies are the place in which the Holy Spirit dwells as we follow Jesus. This wasn't foreign to Jesus either. You see, in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit when he tells his disciples he's going to leave. He tells them this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you ever, forever, the spirit of truth. He goes on to say, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. 
Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. Jesus, as he's exiting his disciples, makes the prophetic announcement that the Holy Spirit will be given to all of his followers. And not only would the Spirit of God live with them, but the Spirit would dwell in them. How do we put feet to our faith with this? We find in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, that the first church believed, and Peter teaches, that you see in 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5, it says, and as you come to Jesus, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, into a spiritual temple for God. So we see in the Older Testament that there's a house for God, there's a temple. But as we move into the Newer Testament, and Jesus has promised us this, that the temple now would become us. That when you and I say yes to Jesus, we no longer live life alone. But the same spirit that was dwelling in the temple in the Older Testament now dwells in us through faith in Christ. Why is this so important during the COVID-19 crisis? It is so important to understand and to know that today, today, we are the temple of God. That when you say yes to Jesus, the presence of God lives in you. The presence of God dwells with you. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you're there in your apartment, your dorm room, or your home, please be open to what Jesus told us would happen. And the Apostle Paul speaks of that the presence of God is available to all of us. And as we put our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. We are not alone. We are not having to rely on our own strength. We are a group of people who are the temples of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit of God dwells within us, giving us new life giving us a strength that's not our own, a peace that's not our own, a hope that is not our own, an authority and a power to live life differently beyond human effort and human struggle we can have in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis, the power of the Spirit and the authority of God to live life well. We're going to take a few moments to worship together. Let's worship God. But as you do and as you worship, I want to encourage you, be open to the Holy Spirit. Ask God to fill you with his spirit as we worship together.